The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic today is the continuing on the third noble truth. And to, um, uh, which is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering. And in the most classic uh, discussion of this, uh, explanation of this, uh, it's the, as I said yesterday, it's the cessation of that craving that leads to further birth, rebirth. However, most people in interpreting and using the teaching about this third noble truth and also the second noble truth don't really make reference to how it's this, this particular classic teaching has to do with rebirth, but rather how it applies to daily life in our life in all kinds of ways. And in that craving has a phenomenal role in how we suffer. We want to learn how to uh, be free of that craving. And the way that this is discussed about, discussed in this third noble truth, it's the freedom from the non-clinging to, the non-attachment to, the non-enchantment uh, um, with craving. And, uh, and it has a lot to do with our relationship to craving. So when I was um, a new meditator, I had a lot of knee pain. And I learned that in order to be able to sit and breathe in a relaxed way and not be miserable, I had to notice the reactivity I had to my knee pain. And uh, there was all kinds, but uh, remember there was a period of time where um, I saw clearly the relationship between my self-pity in having all this pain and the severity of the pain. So I'd have the knee pain I would resist it, react to it, have self-pity, and my little muscles around my knee would tighten and pain would get worse. If I let go of the self-pity, the muscles would relax and the pain was better. And because it was so intense, I had, you know, I feel like I had no choice. I had to really track myself carefully to make sure that there was no self-pity. I had to let go of it as it came up. And then I would just be with the pain and it wouldn't be as bad. So learning how the reactivity we have is extra is a powerful thing to do. But we have extra reactivity to desires themselves. Uh, We reach for them, we want them, we don't want them. And we feed them and fuel them. And even the negative, not wanting something to be there, keeps us caught in the cycles of wanting and not wanting. And uh, so, um, uh, the, um, so what, the clarity of mind, of mindfulness, begins seeing the relationship, the conditional relationship between different ways in which we react and respond. And in that clarity, we can begin leaving things alone. We can leave desires alone and not pick them up cravings alone, we can see them arise, but we don't do anything about them. Or we can see that the cravings and desires have an underlying condition, and that condition might be as simple as that there's something pleasant or unpleasant, something pleasant or painful that we're reacting to, 
And the desires, the cravings, the resistances arise in dependence, in conditional dependence to the pleasant or unpleasantness. But to see that clearly in the mind and, and so clearly we can just leave it alone. And then we don't have a problem with the craving. We don't have to make the cravings being bad or a sin or evil to have it. We just see it as another phenomena that's rising, that's appearing, that we don't have to get involved in. We just, oh, look at that. It's like watching a cloud going through the sky, just a natural phenomena that's going through. And the non-involvement with craving can be that strong if the mindfulness is clear enough. And it's phenomenal to begin having a very different relationship to our inner life, one which we don't have to judge or be critical or be reactive to, but just see it and know in the clarity of seeing we, um, we are not, um, we're not involved with it. We're not picking it up. It's just there. And in that clarity also, we start seeing the conditionality, as I'm saying. And it might be as simple as really seeing the connection between pleasant and unpleasant and how we react to it with desires, aversions, and craving. And seeing that conditionality, we can leave things alone. We start seeing that things exist conditionally and as conditions that they're impermanent, they're inconstant, they're coming and going into existence. And for the Buddha, this ability to see how things are conditional, how things arise because of other conditions, is one of the things that leads to freedom. But for a simple, um, uh, one of the reasons for that is that we see that things that are experiences are not permanent. They're not everlasting. We're not stuck in them. So the, um, I remember once many years ago, um, when my first son was quite young and we were having a difficult day with him. And I remember we were kind of hovering over him. He was you know, a teeny little toddler and trying to manage with something. And my wife looked up at me and she said, um, we're having one of those kinds of days. And as soon as she said that, I noticed how much I was operating as if, kind of unconsciously almost, as if this difficulties we're having were going to be forever. That was kind of like my mindset. Of course, if you'd asked me, I knew it wasn't going to be forever, but uh, what my kind of subconscious, the way it's reacting and responding was as if that was the case. And when she said, this is, we're having one of those kinds of days, it kind of popped that bubble of permanence. Oh, it's just a day. Okay. And then I could relax and settle in and be much more at ease with what was going on. The Buddha said something very interesting. He said, uh, if you see any experience, but here the focus can be our own psychophysical experience, our mind states, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires. If we can see any of these things as they arise, as they appear, we're not going to believe that they don't exist. They do exist in a certain kind of way. They've appeared. They're not that... However, if we also see that they pass, then we won't uh, believe uh, in their... um, So if we see them arise, we don't believe in their non-existence. If we uh, see them pass, we won't believe in their existence. 
And here, the idea is permanent non-existence or absolute non-existence as if it doesn't exist or if it really does exist. And so it's a fascinating kind of distinction Buddha makes. And if things neither exist nor don't exist, how, do, how are they? they? How they are is that they are processes that are constantly changing and evolving. And in fact, the conclusion of this little teaching he gives is to emphasize that things are constantly arising and passing. And that begins to loosen up the hold and the grip, to see that, loosens up the hold and the grip of our craving, of our desire. And we begin shifting our relationship to craving and desires, craving desires and aversions. So there is no passion for them. Uh, the powerful word in ancient language, kind of lust, clinging to them, grasping for them, uh, being enchanted by them, depending on them, resting our life on these desires and aversions. And this freeing up so that there is no clinging, no craving. This is a phenomenal thing to do because it frees up what's wholesome within us. It frees up the goodness of our hearts in a powerful way. And this allowing the goodness of our hearts to flow and come uh, is one of the great pleasures and and, uh, treasures of Buddhist practice. And I say that today because a lot of of the um, goal over and over again in the early Buddhist teachings has to do with absence, has to do with letting go, not having clinging there, not having craving there, not having resistance there, uh, letting go of the holding, abandoning craving. And this it's all kind of the absence of something. But it's a glorious absence because in the absence of what blocks or obstructs our minds, our hearts, the hearts can develop and flow. And this, the naturalness, the dhammata, or the magga, the path, uh, over and over and over again, the Buddha presents the path of practice as a, as a path that develops and grows and unfolds uh, over time. Or like a river flowing down, uh, down slope, or a plant that's germinating and flowering. If we can get out of the way and no longer obstruct what's here, it's phenomenal what begins to unfold and open in the practice. The path opens up for us. So the, the niroda, the cessation of suffering. Uh, I said yesterday that niroda means also non-obstruction. And so um, to really develop this clarity of mind that can see the arising and passing of things clearly enough that we don't see, that we see pleasure, pain, discomfort, the desires in relationship to it. And we're able to just see that without it obstructing anything, without us getting caught and entangled with it. This is one of the goals of practice. This is one of the ways in which we are able to cut um, the clinging, the grasping, that uh, entanglement that gives birth to suffering. So um, this is um, 
the um, so that is um, another kind of little take on this topic, and we'll continue with um, Niroda, the cessation of suffering tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs>